Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get rid of your credit card debt, get a lower monthly payment, and skip your next two house payments at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to save thousands with savewithconrad.com. Find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com. How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, presented to you by the ad-free shows and podcast heat networks. I, of course, am John Alba, but I'm not the star of Strictly Business. Instead, I'm joined every single week by the man of the hour, Mr. Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are we doing today, my friend? We're doing good. I'm dragging a little bit. It's been a pretty intense uh, couple weeks of travel. I think I've only spent about two days home in a row in the last three weeks, so... This is the last weekend that I'll be traveling for at least two weeks. So okay, looking forward to getting this one under my belt. I can't wait to get where I'm going. I'm going to be in Kentucky this, uh, this weekend. It's a two day event. Uh, I always have fun when I get there, but man, this travel is kicking my butt, <laughs> kicking my butt. Well, at least you're not going to be over in London for AEW all in, but we know that we will be keeping a close eye on that show as we have here on Strictly Business. Eric, we are live right now on ad-free shows for our ad-free show subscribers. So if you're watching live via AFS, hit us up, shoot us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Adfreeshows.com. Get your early access to podcasts like Strictly Business and live tapings. If you're a top guy or top gal, we'd love to have you over there. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to 83weeks.com where you will get Strictly Business dropped right into your feed every single week. Of course, we cover the business of the business on Strictly Business, and we have a lot to get to today on that front, including a bunch of questions about the business of the business from our Strictly Business listeners. There's enough business to be passed around, Eric. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Something you know, We, get, we often get really, really good questions, and uh, I enjoy those. So 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we should get down to business, not waste any more time. I want to talk about streaming uh, at the top of our show here. And we're going to have that discussion, but I would be remiss if I did not ask you first the news that we found out yesterday, Mm. uh, the passing of the legendary Terry Funk. I think one of the coolest things about everything that's happened, Eric, is not a single person has had a bad thing to say about Terry Funk and paying tribute to him. Uh, What are your recollections and memories of Terry? You know, I I, I got to work with Terry off and on. over the years, uh, when I first got to WCW for a brief period of time, of course, I was an announcer back then. So my interactions with him were, were fairly limited. Um, certainly, I've heard every, well, I guess I haven't heard every Terry Funk story because I think there's a lot of them out there. But, I, you know, I often talked to Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair or people that really worked with and, and knew Terry well. And I, I'll be honest, you know, there's like anytime you've got, Peers kind of competing for that top spot over the years. I'm sure that there were um, there were rough spots in that really in those relationships. But the amount of respect and and love that both Ric Flair had and, and still does, I think, and and Dusty in particular, um, said a lot about Terry Funk to me. Even though I never really got to know him well on a personal level, like I said, we interacted business wise and backstage and. And later on, you know, I, I, I worked with Terry in, on Nitro. And what I remember most about Terry Funk is the last time I saw him. And we were at a convention of some sort. This was a couple of years ago now, maybe two or three. And Terry and I ended up in the same car. Somebody was either picking us up or driving us to the airport, one or the other. And I had about 45 minutes in the car with Terry. And I got just a glimpse of what Terry Funk was like away from the arena, away from the job, so to speak. And I remember thinking, man, oh, man, I wished, I wished, you know, I had been in the business 20 years earlier than I was or had that opportunity to just to share some, some drive time with Terry Funk. He was an amazing storyteller, such a a genuine down to earth humble man but yet such a powerful character and i remember saying to myself when i said goodbye to terry i'm thinking damn i really missed out on getting to know this guy because he's just one of those people that you could sit and talk to you sit down at lunch with him and before you know it you're closing up the restaurant at 10 o'clock at night you know he could just he could uh, he could really take you immerse you if you will in that era where Terry Funk was such a dominant force. It was just fun listening to him. That's the first thing I thought of when I heard the news. Actually, was that last ride? I think there's a fair argument to make that Terry Funk is on the short list of most influential professional wrestlers. Of all. Huh. You know, talk to Mick Foley. You know, mm-hmm. as an example, I think. Nick said it in, in his own post yesterday, you know, Terry Funk was a, a mentor to him. You know, Mick Foley probably built his characters because he's had a couple in large part because of the influence that someone like Terry Funk had on him. And look at what, you know, Mick Foley has done in the industry for the last 20 years or so. He's really 
he's, he's an icon himself, you know, that, that modeled his career in, in many respects, I think after Terry Fong. So you just can't say enough good things about Terry Fong. Certainly. So great tribute there from you, Eric. We got a few of our ad free shows, fans and family and friends trickling on in here. Dylan says first live recording of strictly business, hell of an experience. Welcome to, the Strictly Business Party. I was going to say, Dylan, I don't recall seeing your name up here before during a live show, so thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Got Josh Fields here. Dylan also says, rip Terry Funk. Without Terry, there's no ECW. And that is an interesting proclamation and potentially truthful in and of itself, Dylan. Okay, let's get down to business here. Eric, I want to talk some streaming news. We have heard the past few weeks about Max starting to move towards live streaming content. I read it a few weeks ago on this podcast where they were going to pivot towards live streaming the Major League Baseball postseason games that Turner has access to, the NCAA tournament as well, and that would be part of a live BR tier, Bleacher Report tier on Max. Today, as we record this, there's a report that it's looking like CNN is going to start having live stream content on Mac. So the technology, Eric, is seemingly coming around for the Mac's platform. And Tony Khan was on CNBC uh, this past week, and he mentioned that he would love to be on Max. I'll read you a portion of the quote saying, frankly, America, the revenue you drive out there is in many ways the strongest individual point, certainly. And I think those U.S. streaming rights are very valuable. So potentially we could land. I would love to be on Max. And I think that would be an amazing thing. And Max is certainly my favorite streaming platform. And it is the streaming platform of my bosses at Warner Brothers Discovery, the people who carry AEW in the U.S., India, and many great territories. And I believe that together we can come up with something really special. But if it was up to me, I would love to land on Max, home of all my favorite shows. So take that for what you will, but it certainly seems Eric like sounds like a sales pitch to me, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so it does sound like a sales pitch, but I know you've been a little tepid on the idea of max for AEW, but as some of these options start to increase, are your thoughts changing on that at all? No. And let me be clear. I don't know enough about the streaming industry. I'm not involved in it. I haven't been involved in any transactions. I don't know the model. I don't know the revenue streams currently. I only know what I read and I don't, I don't deep dive into streaming because again, there's just so much I don't understand and don't need to understand at this point. You know, Tony's comments were, uh, you know, professional business related public commentary that you'd expect very positive and and respectful towards his parent company, which is exactly what someone like Tony Khan should be at this point. Um, but I don't, you know, I just, there's so much I don't, you, you know far more about the streaming industry right now than I do. So I, I don't really have a strong opinion. I, I certainly, I know, I know, like everybody knows, it's even close to the television business that streaming is obviously having a, a incredible impact on the way we watch content. I know it does for my wife and I, uh, it wasn't until recently when our house was struck by lightning, for example, and we lost our, uh, our Wi-Fi for a week and a half, almost two weeks. And I was forced to go back and watch direct TV. And I was like, wow, you know, 
now I know why I don't watch cable anymore. You know, there's, there's nothing there that really catches my interest other than, you know, the weather channel when I need to know what the weather's like or news, which is, you know, 24 hours a day on cable. But beyond that, there's so little that's available on cable that I can't get on the streaming platform. So uh, it's where the business is going. And Tony is smart. Uh, he, he sees that like we all do and is going to try to carve out the best opportunity he can, whether it's with Max or anybody else. You know, I'm applying some of my perspective on this early on is kind of applying the same programming strategies that I am familiar with that were kind of commonplace and core to the architecture of building a network um, back in the day. I hate saying back in the day. I just hate it. It's been so overused. But, um, you know, a lot of that was branding, you know, defining your, your network and giving your network an identity in a position in the marketplace based on a very specific genre of content. And, you know, for example, you know, shortly after I left Turner, you know, TNT was the drama network. TBS was the comedy network. So the bulk, not all of their programming, but the bulk of their programming, particularly their first run and the, and the, the, the programming that they're spending a lot of money on was targeted towards that section of the audience that was looking primarily for comedy with regard to TBS. Same thing with TNT, drama. Um, in my mind, at least... <laughs> Uh, I would think that streaming platforms would, if not at first, eventually adopt that same kind of strategy um, so that you've got consistency in your programming and your audience knows if they're looking for male adrenaline, male soap opera-ish, contact sports, combat sports, uh, things of that nature, any kind of sports, really, that you want to have a platform that people recognize as the home for that type of content. And Max currently is kind of all over the map, but we'll see where it goes. You know, I, I, I wish I knew more about the, the industry so I could speak more um, in depth, but we'll see what happens, man. That's, I seem, I seem to say that a lot lately. Let's, <laughs> well, let's not, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's just see what happens. You mentioned something very interesting there, and that was genre. What genre are we talking about here? We've had this conversation ad nauseum. Is pro wrestling considered a sport when you're talking about this particular lens? Is it considered scripted entertainment? What, what does it fall under? And we've talked about that. And that was something that I wanted to know firsthand from Tony Khan. How does Warner Brothers Discovery view AEW? And through what lens does it categorize it? Because that could be very relevant to the streaming discussion. So, Eric, this past week on the media call, ahead of AW All In, I had a chance to ask Tony Khan just that. Here's what he had to say. Hey, Tony. Thanks, Jim, for the time. Thank you, Tony, for the time as well. Uh, congratulations on the big events coming up these next couple of weeks. You have been really vocal, Tony, the past month or so about the streaming potential for AW in the future, specifically as far as Max is concerned. And I'm sure that leveraging a show like All In into further distribution would be something you guys would have interest in. I'm curious, from your discussions with Warner Brothers Discovery, 
What lens do they view AEW through as a property? We've heard reports that they're going to repurpose Bleacher Report for the Max platform as a tier. Do they view AEW as a sports-centric program, or does it fall in a different category? I believe we do fall in with sports. We're a very, very prominent, wide sporting event. We do tremendous ratings. This You may have seen a press release that Warner Brothers Discovery put out yesterday afternoon publicizing the success of AEW Dynamite Fight for the Fallen, which was the number one show on cable in multiple demographics, and among young men was the number two show on all of television, uh, including network. And uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, very excited about the potential of AEW. In the past year, I've been very fortunate to get to spend time with Mr. Zasloff, and Mr. Zasloff is really excited about AEW. I will take it a step further. Uh, I saw Mr. Zasloff over the holidays uh, with my father, and I walked up to him and introduced my father to him, and uh, the first thing he said to my dad is, your son is effing killing it. Uh, so I was very uh, pleased with that and proud of that, and uh, always nice when your boss uh, tells your dad that you're doing a good job. Uh, and I believe it's true. I think we're doing a great job. And Warner Brothers Discovery is very pleased with the work we're doing. And uh, I'm just glad that uh, you know, Mr. Zasloff likes what we're doing. I think that bodes really well for everybody at AEW and, and the future of the company and hopefully good for the wrestling business to have one of the most powerful people in entertainment take a notice of what we're doing, paying attention doing it, and trying to create opportunities for us. Thank you. What do you think about those comments, Eric? Very positive, uh, refreshing comments. I mean, not much, not much to read into it. Um, it is what it is, and I think if uh, David Zasloff is excited about AEW, then there is no downside to that. There's nothing to question, really, uh, other than you know, let's see how. It's not even a question; it's an observation. Let's see where it ends up. You know, if, if what Tony is saying, and I believe it to be true, I'm not suggesting it's not, but given those statements and, and the conversation, the brief conversation, polite conversation that David Zasloff had with Tony's father, and that's indicative of, of a good, strong, healthy relationship. So there's no downside, really. What do you make of the sports-centric property? No, I, you know, that's that, that we, we've had this conversation. We've had people on uh, a friend of yours that we had on a couple of weeks ago that had some. Bigger there, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he was talking to people, you know, on the ad sales side. Right. And he's got a little different view of it. And sports centric. That's, I don't know. It's either sports or it's not. But I think perhaps the sports centric comment maybe reflects the idea that they're selling it as a live event like sports is, but nobody thinks it's a sport. And maybe that's just semantics at this point. Um, I don't think so. I think sports is a category. I think professional wrestling is a category and there probably is some overlap, but the, the common denominator is that, Sports works because it's live and wrestling works because it's live. So to that extent, maybe that 
is why it's sports centric as opposed to male soap opera. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, you know, to parse it all out and break it down and have strong opinions about semantics, I think at this point is pretty stupid. Pivoting over to the WWE side, and this is somewhat related to the sports idea of collaboration with pro wrestling. Uh, Burke Magnus last week, who is the ESPN president of content, was on the sports media podcast with one of our former guests here, Richard Deitch, who if you haven't checked out that episode with Richard, I definitely recommend you go and find that in our archives because he was fantastic. Smart uh, guy. Very smart. Very guy. smart. Burke was on his podcast and Richard asked him about ESPN as a content distributor for WWE events. And essentially Burke said that once upon a time, maybe they would have looked at them in terms of acquiring for full distribution, but now it's a little different. And I'm going to read a part of his long quote from him on it. And he said, there's no hesitation anymore from a brand perspective or from a live event versus scripted. They're fans and our viewers. There's tremendous overlap. So to me, it's just about the business of it. And if there's something that works, I may have said this to you last time we talked, but to their credit, they run a 52 week a year business, right? And I'm thinking, well, let me start from the linear perspective. 52 weeks a year is impossible for us to do on almost any configuration based on the other rights that we have. So that actually cuts against us from a linear perspective. But on the digital side, if we were able to be in business with them on a streaming or direct to consumer distribution or pay-per-view distribution or something as such, I think that's more easily achievable and they have a great product. So, end quote there. Basically what Burke is saying there is that putting ESPN programming, putting Raw or SmackDown on TV every single week is not something that's viable. But from a streaming distribution perspective, having some sort of content deal with WWE and ESPN is something that he could see potential for. Now that we've been hearing how Bob Iger and Disney and ABC and ESPN properties are maybe trying to move a little away from linear. Do you have any comments on any of that? No, other than it makes sense, right? I mean, when we talk about linear, you're talking about regular cable television and, and, and obviously broadcast, but uh, yeah, with all of the other rights that ESPN has, whether it's baseball or hockey, football, whatever it is, college, whatever it is that they're, they're committed to, they would have to preempt Raw or SmackDown on a pretty consistent basis, and that wouldn't be good for anybody. On the streaming side or the digital side, yeah, that I, it makes sense. I, I don't know how big the streaming platform is. I don't know if it's a you know, one of the the place to be or if it's in the top ten. You know, I, I don't know. And again, I, I really apologize. Perhaps I should you know take a crash course on streaming. The, the business of the streaming business, although I think it's evolving so quickly that it's really hard to get accurate information. And one of the big issues with the writer's strike now and, and, and actors is residuals from streaming. And when you listen to the streamers themselves, they're losing money. They're not making money. So sharing in, in the revenue is not something they're capable of doing at this point. It's going to change. So, Without knowing that background, without knowing the penetration of a particular streaming platform, subscription base of a streaming platform, the economics of that platform, 
it's really hard to have an opinion, a, a valid one. We can all have opinions, but we all do. But most of them really don't matter much. Um, and without that, without that insight, you know, it's hard to comment. Look, it's always better to have more people that are potentially interested in your product. That's pretty obvious. So it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But it would be more interesting to, to hear from Nick Khan and what Nick Khan believes is the ideal streaming platform. Because if there's anybody in the industry that has their finger on the pulse of streaming and the industry, the business of the streaming business, it would be Nick Khan. I did think um, it was interesting that he mentioned there was no longer brand hesitance from ESPN as far as WWE is concerned. Yeah, what that really means is, okay, we're fucking desperate. We got to take anything we can get now because our, <laughs> our our view of ourselves has not panned out that well. And we're, we're, we're dying out here, folks, and we need more audience. That's what that really means. I'll take you at your word on that one, Eric. I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lot of people we're going to be paying attention to ESPN in the coming weeks. And that's because more than anything else, fall does not just signature the leaves changing. It's also fantasy football season, Eric Bischoff. And our friends at Manscaped have a message for fantasy football players. As draft season approaches, don't neglect the most important draft pick of all, your game balls. We all, <laughs> we all know how injuries can ruin a season, so... Let Manscaped take care of that Reggie Bush of yours with skin safe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this should guarantee you have a smooth ride into the playoffs this year. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming have created a championship lineup with their performance package 4.0, and it's time for you to do the same. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our promo code WrestleBiz. That's W-R-E-S-C-L-E-B-I-Z and Manscaped. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, Eric, you're going to find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs and a Travel Bag slotted at quarterback, because we all know the quarterback, Eric, is the highest paying and most prominent position on the field. We got the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on your journey to trim your body balls and even your A-gap. And this fourth-generation trimmer also features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, and it's even waterproof. The reality is, Eric Bischoff, you want someone, or in this case, something under center, that is going to deliver in the clutch. And Manscaped is always delivering in the clutch, is it not? All right. So here's the deal, folks. If you were unfortunate enough to fast forward through that spot, you're, you don't know what you're missing. Because number one, the Manscaped product line is an outstanding, high quality necessity, in, in my opinion, when it comes to grooming and hygiene and just doing what you need to do. But... That's not the reason I love this company as much as I do. Any company that is as good at creating copy as the folks at Manscaped are, I laugh my ass off every time I hear one of these spots. It's creative. It's entertaining. It's current. It's relevant. And when you said, 
you know, fantasy football. And I'm thinking, and I see the manscape spot come up. I'm thinking, how the hell is he going to segue? Did he see, is it the wrong spot? What is good? But to be able to, uh, to be able to write, present copy and with a great product with that much humor that makes it fun to listen to the commercials is my kind of company. The weed whacker, which is your favorite product, if I'm not mistaken, it is also waterproof. Uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. It's going to cut through your quarterback like Aaron Donald does every single Sunday. And we're going to help you out here at Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WrestleBiz at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code WrestleBiz, W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z, at Manscaped.com. It's time to put the PP back in PPR and get a grip on your pigskin this season. <laughs> with our pals oh boy over at manscaped hey guys double j jeff jarrett need to call a timeout real quick here i wanted to tell your listeners what i've been telling my world listeners for a while now it's about all the incredible things happening over on atreeshows.com conrad sits down with a pioneer of wrestling television production director dan bynum who discusses his journey through WCW, ROH, MLW, and where it all began for him, world class. What really was the uh, the thing that, that catapulted it was, one, working with Ric Flair. He came to the territory and wrestled with the Von Erich boys and gave us so much uh, gravitas. And two, the greatest feud in the history of wrestling the Freebird Von Eric feud. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were there at the hottest time with the hottest show, and we took over the world. The Yeti, Ron Reese, sits down with Ad Free Shows members to talk about his infamous night at Halloween Havoc and how it was received by the boys in the back. Oh, no, I remember, like, Arn Anderson told me that that was the drizzling shits, and Dusty Rose was like, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm just like, hey, thanks. <laughs> Hey, that's just a small taste of what AdFree Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk, getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from. See for yourself why AdFree Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at AdFreeShows.com. That's right. Sign up today at AdFreeShows.com. Want to get to some questions from the Strictly business faithful out there, including some who are tuned in live on the ad-free show side. We got Michael Quaid. Does Ask Eric, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan predicts that broadcast TV won't be around in 10 to 15 years. What does Eric think among those lines? It seems television is around for live sports and events anymore. Uh, You know, the only thing I might, and I I can't say I disagree, it's may have a different opinion slightly, is on how long it's going to take. I don't think it's going to take 10 or 15 years. I mean, cable television is going to be around much like AM radio, you know, AM radio is, is where you get public service warnings, where you get, you know, important information because not everybody has an FM radio, but just about everybody, at least now has AM radio in their cars or access to one. So I think you're always going to have cable television. It'll always be around, but just look over the last couple of years, last five years, the quality of that content as Lori and I just experienced when we, got struck by lightning the quality of the content that's available on cable is just not there anymore you're you're going to go to the 
big shows, whether it, again, I'll use Yellowstone as an example. It's one everybody can still can remember, you know, that changed an entire network. That show became a business within a business. Um, but Game of Thrones, you know, Walking Dead, all of these shows, although Walking Dead did start out on cable, um, a lot of the big scripted shows are, are leaning into streaming and going to streaming. And as, when the quality of the television product comes down that's available on cable, so does the audience. It just, it'll always be there. It'll, be, it'll function almost, I think, as a utility. And a lot of, you know, rerun-type programs, you know, best-ofs and nostalgia channels and Nick at Night and things like that. But, you know, the majority of the high-quality entertainment is going to go to a streaming platform. Simple as that. This is an interesting question from the wrestling ace here, because I don't think this is something that a lot of people think about on the surface level, but there certainly has to be some merit in some degree for it. Yes. Do you think production issues may be possible at all? In AW is used to scaling, shooting and performing in 10,000 seat venues. So I wonder if there will be any kinks jumping to almost 10 times the usual venue size. Did you ever experience anything like that, Eric, when you guys would produce events in stadiums versus arenas? I don't think, it, 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 no, we didn't because we had a really high quality production team that had experience. So uh, we, we didn't have any issues that presented themselves when we went to bigger venues or stadium shows. I think with AEW, um, look, I got a guy there by the name of Mike Mansuri. Mike Mansuri worked right next to underneath Kevin Dunn for a long time in WWE. Mike Mansuri is a very, very, very talented producer and has experience with larger stadium shows and bigger venues and, and so forth. So with a guy like uh, Mike Mansuri in charge, I'm not suggesting that there won't be any glitches. There can always be glitches, you know, when you're, when you're doing a live show, some, sometimes it's out of your control. You know? um, I, I think the bigger issue will be not an issue. I think the vulnerability overall will come from the fact that, they're still hiring freelancers, right? Not, not everybody that's working on the production side of that show is coming over from Jacksonville. There's going to be a lot of freelance talent there. And that's where you may run into a problem or two because you're working with people and they're working with people that neither one of them had ever worked with each other before. And in some cases, perhaps not in professional wrestling. And we've talked about this before. You can find really good sports producers or shooters, cameramen. Uh, they're, really good at, you know, soccer, football in, in the UK or other sports, but have never had any experience in wrestling. Well, if they're running camera for you, that's, that's, that's a vulnerability. It's a potential vulnerability. If there are glitches, that's where it will come from. Just because of the fact that I'm assuming, I don't know this is a fact, that clear but assuming that they're going to end up hiring a substantial amount of local production talent that's that's where there could be a little bit of a learning curve that could end up as a glitch kevin kellum asks what is something about live event promotion that varies market to market venue to venue i don't think it does perhaps the intensity of it meaning the the, the amount of promotion you have to do to cut through the clutter in a larger market uh, might mean that you have to spend more money in marketing and promotion. But I think the strategy 
and its core is exactly the same. You know, you're creating urgency. In, in the case of AEW, hopefully, they're creating an opportunity to be a part of history. It's implied a lot in the commentary, so it's there. That messaging is already there. Whether or not it's there in local marketing, obviously, I don't know. I'm not there. But, you know, a sense of urgency, a, a sense of being part of history, uh, the idea that this is live, you, you know, you, this is happening now and people all over the world are watching it. That's another big draw. You know, making sure that the audience knows that they're part of the show. And I talked ad nauseum about the fact that I think the star of this show at Wembley is not going to be a professional wrestler. It's going to be the 80,000 people that showed up to be, be a part of the show. Let me repeat that. They're showing up so they can be a part of the show. And to communicate the opportunity for fans to be a part of the show, not just sit there and watch it, is the differentiator, I think, between big major live events or live event programming and just, oh, we're going to show up in town and shoot it. A tel- we're going to have a television taping. And you can go home afterwards and watch yourself next week on TV. That's not the same. It's so cool. People still dig it. Everybody wants to be a part of the show. That's why ringside seats sell. For- somebody told me the other day, I'm not going to, I know, not somebody, somebody very specifically told me the other day how much ringside seats went for. Uh, for WrestleMania. Let's not just gloss over that. WrestleMania went on sale last week, or this week, whatever day it was this week. What, they broke $21.6 million yeah, in revenue in less than 24 hours? It's at their all-time gate record. And now the, the, the largest wrestling event ever, even though it hasn't happened yet. It won't happen for six months. And now the match has been announced but sold 91,000 tickets at over $21.6 million in less than 24 hours. But the important part of that is during that conversation, uh, my friend also noted that ringside seats went for $10,000 a copy and were the first ones to get sold out. So much for wrestling fans don't really have a lot of disposable income because they're just a bunch of hicks. You know, they're on the lower end of the socioeconomic thing. You know, that's the perception of professional wrestling. Well, I think between all in and, and certainly the, the WWE numbers, I think everybody's proven that yeah. to be false. Man, we talked about it a few weeks ago. People will pay for things that entertain them. And that's exactly and to be a part of history. Again, I think the ticket sales and WrestleMania experience, I think, again, I don't want to keep talking about things I've already talked about, but you know, you look at the fact that maybe 50, 60,000 of people a week watch AEW in the UK, but they've sold over 80,000 tickets. What the fuck does that mean that everybody watches, watches the show bought 1.6 tickets or whatever the math is. No, there's a lot of people that really aren't familiar with the product, maybe tangentially, uh, are aware of it, but it's new, it's fresh, and everybody wants to be a part of history to come and check it out and be a part of that experience and be a part of the show. That's what's driving all in. It's certainly not because of the powerful television viewership. And, you know, again, I ranted a lot last week in, in support, by the way, of Tony Khan and, and the fact that they haven't announced a card. And I think they should learn from this experience because people are tuning in to see what the, that show. Now there's a lot of people that are upset because it's not the traditional way of promoting a, a big event and there should be stories. And I don't disagree. I would prefer that there are great stories leading into this event, but not necessarily all the matches announced. 
there's a certain psychology in getting people to tune in to find out what's going to happen. Used to call it must-see TV. And there's a lot to be learned successfully from, from what AEW is doing. Yep. And they've done a good job in promoting the main event. The main event angle, I think, has been one of the most intriguing angles they've ever had in their company with MJF and Adam Cole. And if you haven't caught up with that, Eric, I definitely recommend you do because it was a really great mix of good matches, promos, vignettes, segments, everything building to this extremely intriguing main event they have that genuinely it's going to be hard to predict where they're going to go with it. So, yeah, no, I'm excited. I I haven't been following it the last couple of weeks just because my travel has been so extensive and I've been in the air half the time. Uh, And by the time I get home, I really don't have the energy or the interest in sitting down and watching wrestling (laughs) for the 48 hours that I'm going to be home. So I haven't kept up with it, but I am going to watch the event because Conrad and I are going to do a, an analysis of it. We're going to record Monday, hopefully Monday morning. I don't get home till like midnight Sunday night, but I'm going to bust my ass and get home and uh, catch a couple hours sleep, get up early, watch the show, and then do the podcast. Dude, so, all I'm I know, to see it. I love a 1 p.m. Eastern start time for a pay-per-view. I'm all about that because this UK time is making it seem like it's going to be like a Sunday NFL kickoff. Yeah, and unfortunately, I'm going to be flying. I'm going to be in midair. And maybe, you know, who who knows? I'm going to bring my laptop just in case I can get a strong enough signal long enough while I'm on a plane to catch it. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a -a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Yeah, very excited for that 1 p.m. Josh Henney, top guy, asks, can you gentlemen discuss how the indie wrestling community survives without huge media rights? What is the income base and pay for wrestlers? Thank you. That's a really good question. And I just texted right before we sat down. I texted uh, the promoter that brought me into, where was I, Newark, Fairfield, Connecticut? No, Fairfield, New Jersey is where I was. Super nice guy. I love working with him. He's just a solid, solid human being. Does everything he says he's going to do. Takes care of talent, meaning, you know, the rides are on time. Their tickets are made correctly, and there's not a lot of issues and challenges. Um, 
I, I suspect, and I, I texted him to ask him, you know, what his total numbers were and how he did, because this was his first really big event. And um, I think a lot, some of the money comes from local sponsorship to help offset the cost of production, because you can't cover, you know, I was at an event a, a month or two ago, it was myself and Marcus Bagwell, Two Cold Scorpio. You know, we're not high-profile talents. You know, we're not A-listers. There's no, you know, we are. I have a very, very rounded view of who I am and what my value is out there in the marketplace. I'm pretty, like I said, grounded about that. But you still, you've got our airfares. You know, you've got our hotels. In my case, because I only fly first class, I am going to be that diva at this stage of my life. Um you know, just to get me to an event, forget about what they pay me to get me there, just to get me to an event and the cost of hotels, it's, it's rich. And when you get three or four people in my category that are on a show, it gets real expensive. And when you're only selling 300 tickets or 400 tickets in some of these smaller markets, you can't possibly make your money back in ticket sales alone. Uh, concessions are negligible at that point, very little merchandise at that point. So a lot of the expenses in, in, in many cases, if not, certainly not all, but in many of the cases where I've asked the question, like, how do you pull this off? Local sponsorship goes a long way. You know, your local car dealer or local real estate agent or your local insurance company, whatever, your local supermarket, you know, it's a part of the community. And a lot of the people that go to these shows, is, the, the ones that I go to are, are typically smaller markets and, you get the local mayor to come out and be a part of the show. You know, it's a, it's a community event. And, and as such, I think they're able to um, get enough sponsorship to help offset some of the costs. I try to provide a little perspective here because I've been working in these for almost a decade now and I'm very involved still in the New England scene. I believe we had Randy Carver on from Limitless Wrestling, one of our previous episodes. Uh, one of the things, Eric, that has happened a lot in recent years with indie companies getting on streaming platforms like IWTV or fight that's become very popular is that people can pay to sponsor wrestlers. And that happens a lot. Podcasts will do it. Local businesses will do it. Online businesses will do it. They will directly sponsor a wrestler. So you can have a match between Effie and insert indie talent here, Alec price and a company will sponsor Alec Price in that match. And when they're doing the reads for the match live on the streaming platform, they'll say, hey, this match is presented to you by so-and-so or Alec Price is brought to you by so-and-so. And I think that's a pretty innovative thing as streaming advances. I love that. I, I just, see, I wasn't aware of that. I love that idea. And I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm going, well, wait a minute. Who do I got to sponsor somebody? You know, it's got to be the right person. But this, that's awesome. You know, yeah. that's what's fun about emerging platforms and emerging business models is because the ways and means by which you can make money kind of evolve and present themselves. And, and this is like a great idea. I'm going to do it. I'm going to find somebody to sponsor. We'll have either an 83-week sponsorship or a strictly business sponsorship and just get us out there. And I, I think that's brilliant. I like that. That's, that's great. And as far as what do they make, Josh, every indie wrestler has their own rate that they'll charge a promoter. And included with that will be travel, kind of what Eric was talking about there. 
So that's going to be on a case-by-case basis. One size does not fit all when it comes to indie pay. Let's step aside for a second, Eric, to remind the Strictly Business listeners out there that this episode of Strictly Business is presented by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, gentlemen. Guys, remember the days, and it might have been a while ago. It's okay if it was. It might have even been just a few weeks ago when you were always ready to go on a moment's notice. No shame. Our bodies change. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed by heading on over to BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or just be ready whenever the opportunity arises, and the process is so simple. Sign up, BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you're going to receive your prescription within just days. And the best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the United States of America and prepared and shipped directly to your door in a discreet package. I know it can be awkward sometimes when you have a product delivered to you that is for personal enhancement or improvement, but have no fear when Blue Chew arrives at my door. I don't have to worry about anyone picking up on my business. It's strictly my business here when it comes to Blue Chew. And I know that I'm making a first impression that is going to last a lifetime with Blue Chew. So we want to help you out here on Strictly Business, as does Blue Chew. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code WrestleBiz. That's W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code WrestleBiz to receive your first month absolutely free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring Strictly Business. Let's keep going here. We got one from Dylan, who's also in the chat. It says, from a presentation standpoint, does Eric prefer the commentator desk to be at the top of the stage or down by ringside? Mm, that's such a good question because I go back and forth on that one a little bit. I think for me, I preferred the announce booth to be away from ringside once we had consistently large audiences, over five or 7,000 people for our, our Nitro shows. Once we hit that point, which was pretty early on, really, the first six months or a year, we were we were there at that point. I loved the announce booth to be away from the field of play, so to speak, because it, in my opinion, at least it gave the viewer a, a larger sense of scope. It felt bigger. It wasn't any bigger, but it felt bigger when you put the announce booth right at ringside. And there are advantages to that. They're, they're creatively and, and logistically. There are advantages to that but it starts to feel a little claustrophobic to me in just in terms of the visual presentation. And I tried for so long initially because I, I had to find a way to make our show feel bigger before we were drawing five, six, 7,000 or more people to a nitro, a live nitro. Uh, there were times when we couldn't get 1200 people to an event for a television taping. And I went so far as to have a couple of our cameras fitted with wide angle lenses, not noticeably, but it was there. And, 
especially on our, our jib cameras, our crane cams, they come in, they fly in, and they do a big sweeping kind of pan, panoramic view of, of the venue. Well, when there's 1,200 people in there, it doesn't look that good, but you put the right lens, you put a fisheye lens on it, give you a little wider perspective. All of a sudden, the room feels bigger. The audience seems more spread out. It's not. It just feels that way. And I was kind of forced to create things that made our show feel bigger than it really was. And one of those things was the idea of moving the announce booth away from ringside. But like I said, there's advantages to both. You know, there's a real sports feel sometimes when you've got a big fight feel, when you've got your announce booth very close to the, to the ring, that is an advantage. You know, you've certainly got the, the creative potential of involving your announcers or at least their, their desk um, and their equipment uh, and, and the threat to violence to an announcer. You, all these things are, are available to you when you have your announce booth right next to the ring. So I, I think it's just it's subjective. Man. It's, I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer. Yeah, Dylan says it was great on top of the stage until Kane's pyro goes off and then you got chaos. Jim Ross always used to get so angry about that. Kane's pyro would explode and JR would be all bent out of shape about it, which I don't blame him. I understand that little little shocking. Hey, you should you should be in a ring when Kane's pyro goes <laughs> off and you're standing there in the middle of the ring. If you think it's loud and in the announcement it's, although i think the amount of pyro is probably greater on the entrance but man when you're standing yeah. 16 feet away from it and it just surrounds you in all four quarters like oh my god how do i not get a concussion from this <laughs> coach rosie's in the crowd ask eric what percentage of your budget would you dedicate to lighting and set in 2023 Ooh. ooh. Good question. Dude, I'll tell you what. We always hear this with restaurants, right? People eat with their eyes first. I think that translates too to presentation. Oh, it absolutely does. And, you know, I, I can't coach. That's a great question. And I'd, I'd actually have to sit down for a few hours and think about it and, and, and have an idea of what production costs are today. But I think lighting and sound, lighting in particular, is one of the more critical elements. It's all critical. You can't do a show without audio. You can't do a show without lighting. You can't do a show without staging. All of it is important. But I think in terms of the end product, I would in, I would spend the as large, I would spend as much money on lighting in particular as I possibly could, whether it was 1998 or 2023, because it's that affects that and the number of cameras you have affects the look and feel of your show probably more than anything. Good question there, Rosie. And again, guys, if you're part of the ad-free shows chat, we'd love to have some of your questions live here, just as coach Rosie's was. Here's an interesting one from Trav Medway. It says, hi guys here in the UK. We love talking about football players, salaries. Can finances be weaved into storylines competing for cash or contracts, prize money for being champions and also, how long until we see widespread sponsors on wrestlers' gear? God, I love that question. I've often thought, and not in depth, right? I haven't locked myself in a room for eight hours until I came out with the answer to this question. But I've often wondered how one could 
kind of make real life salaries and contract issues a real thing because here's how I started down this rabbit hole. And this occurred to me a couple of years ago. I don't know why, but it's like, how do you make it feel real again? How do you make wrestling actually feel real? How do you make the stakes undeniably real? Cause that's the issue for me, you know, and back in the day, you know, now I'm talking about when I was a kid as a wrestling fan. It was two wrestlers competing for a $50,000 cash prize. Well, the cash prize was bogus. It wasn't real. Nobody was making that kind of money back then. Not very often anyway. Um, but it was something that the audience could relate to. Because you hear about that with boxing, right? You hear about it in the MMA. You know, the, the prize fighters, which is what professional boxers used to be called before they were called professional boxers. You know, prize fighters, people that are fighting for money, the, the, the money was the stakes. And in professional wrestling, the implication was always there. Look at Ric Flair. Ric Flair was the champion. Ric Flair was in Learjets. He was in limousines. He's wearing Rolexes. He's surrounded by beautiful women drinking expensive champagne. The implication and the inference was that as champion, you're making a lot of money. You're making all the money. And of course you want to stay champion. So you can keep making all that money that that's gone. We don't hear that anymore. It's not a part of creative presentation anymore. And I think it's one of the ways, if there is a way, not that I know it'll work, but I would really, really investigate and play with the idea, develop the idea of making this shit as real as I could as it relates to how much money wrestlers are making. Can you imagine? And this is where it gets hard because nobody wants to disclose their incomes. I get that. But um, I'll, I'll just give you a, a rough example without thinking through it too much. Obviously, Roman Reigns is is the champion and being so dominant for as long as he has is probably making more money than anybody. Okay, we'll put Brock Lesnar off to the side for a moment. But throughout the course of a year, making more money than anybody. Well, if I'm Cody Rhodes and I'm not making more money than everybody else, I want to. I want his contract. I want what he's getting and more. And to find a way to, to make that make that a part of the presentation, but doing it in a creative, compelling way that's mostly true. Because, <laughs> you know, it, it is professional wrestling and scripted entertainment. I think would be a really interesting discussion and exploration. It'd be a great vehicle for tournaments too. Yeah, I host Matt Hardy's podcast and arguably the angle that launched them into superstardom was the Terry Invitational Tournament where they competed in the ladder match against Edge and Christian for $100,000. Of course, the Terry Invitational Tournament, Eric, 1999, the TIT, the TIT, is something that a lot of wrestling fans remember. Uh, but it was one of the last times we saw a cash prize in WWE, and that was 19. Yeah, I don't think the cash prize idea works anymore. It really doesn't. Um, nobody would believe it because it was never true. I, and that's why it's if, if someone's going to do it, they would have to figure out a way. And, and it may be impossible for legal reasons and other reasons, management reasons, to to not really share that kind of information. But there's got to be a way. You know, it's a creative business. You just have to think of it. There, yep. there is a way. You just have to conceive it. 
what do you think of the second part of that question? How long until we see widespread sponsors on wrestlers gear? Um, that, that I don't know that we'll ever see now on, on, you know, premium live events or pay-per-views or whatever they end up being called, depending on who's putting them on. Um, possibly because there's no conflict of interest there. But for example, if, if I'm a performer, I'm in the ring for WWE and I have a sponsor that's willing to pay me personally $100,000 to wear my wear their name, their brand on on my ring gear. Cool. Go to WWE and say, yeah, we don't have a problem with that. But the network might because they may have an advertiser that they're doing long-term business with that is in direct competition with them. And and they're not interested in that. So it's it's trickier in that respect. I do think, you know, possibly we've seen it in UFC. Uh, I think Brock Lesnar even got away with it a couple of times in WWE um, with a beef jerky company he was working with for a while. But I think across the boards is a regular thing. I don't think you'll see it on weekly television just because of that conflict of interest between the, the production, the production company, in this case, WWE or AEW and the network who's got the relationship with advertisers. If, if Ford, for example, let me make this clear. If Ford, for example, is a major sponsor, major advertiser over at Fox, right? I don't think the executives at Fox want to see Chevy um, sure. advertising and promotion within their program. Well, keep it's still their program. When Brock Lesnar came back to WWE, he had the Jimmy John's sponsorship on his gear. And this was actually one of the big things when CM Punk walked out, because Punk mentioned that he he thought that was a good thing for talent to be able to do something like that. And he wanted to try to do that for him. And he was he claims he was told no, that he wouldn't be allowed to do that. But Brock was allowed to do that. And I I thought that was interesting even 10 years ago. Then if I was Vince, I would have said, look, you and Brock go in a room and whoever comes out gets to do it. And whoever doesn't, doesn't. They're simple. You can manage these things. This This is not hard. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. <laughs> that's a good one i like that uh matt thomas why didn't wcw ever sponsor mark Marn's nascar cup series car for a race or two in 98 or 99 seasons you guys had a working relationship with him through valvoline and he even showed up at a nitro or two but we did we who, who was we did sponsor a bush car um i can't remember the driver's name right now he was relatively young but doing pretty well um probably money yeah, you know, there has to be a return on investment, and we, you know, we 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 sponsored a NASCAR. It was a Bush car. It was in a Bush series, right? Not not a NASCAR, but a Bush car. We sponsored that car, and it did really well for us. We got a lot of presentation out of it. We were able to get down on the track, shoot some video, integrate it into our programming. That was a reasonable return on the investment. But to get once you step up into the Bush, or excuse me, into the NASCAR category, and some of the bigger names and the more prominent cars, it's a lot more expensive, and you really have to do a risk 
return on investment analysis. And I think it was probably money at that point. I'm going to, I'm going to find that. Uh, let's see. You, you had a few, actually. There, there were several, more than one. Kyle Petty in the Bush series, 96, 97, honorary new world order. member. Kyle Petty? That is yeah. the NWO had a race on it. Uh, Lance Hooper. Don't Jerry, remember Lance. Gary Nadeau. Nope. Steve Grissom. Wally Steve, Grissom, Steve Grissom is the one that I remember because okay. we worked with Steve the most. Wally Dallenbach Jr. Mm-hmm. Dallenbach's a big name. Blaze Alexander. And there were a few others, it looks like, too. So you guys you guys were pretty... Did you find a lot of overlap between the NASCAR audience and wrestling audiences at the time? Um, you know, there was the assumption, right? Because wrestling's really popular in the South and NASCAR's really popular in the South. And, uh, oh, there must be, you know... There must be crossover there. I think for us, for me, I'll speak for myself, not for the other executives at Turner, but for me personally, it was more about the visibility. It was more about business to business visibility. I wanted advertisers and advertising agencies in particular and the people that work there to see that relationship between WCW and NASCAR to help open the door to other, to the automotive industry that up until that point, we were never we never had any automotive business in terms of advertising and sponsorship. Well, before you knew it, we had Valvoline and a number of others. Um, that was all a result of dipping our toe in the water uh, with the NASCAR project. So for me, it was more business to business as opposed to audience. Let's get one more in here. We got so many questions. We'll definitely try to do these once a month or so because you guys have been asking great questions about the business of the business here on Strictly Business. Adam Leeson, as does Eric believe AW has too much content already? Yes and no. I, I, I think it's, look, I'm not knocking anybody here, um, but I don't think anybody can look at the last six months of AEW and consider it to be a, a well-oiled machine. They're still going through a lot of growing pains, just like I did, learning on the job, just like I did, you know, catastrophes that happen to you that you are completely out of your control, but you have to deal with just like I did. Um, I, I, I think at this stage of their evolution in terms of management and as a, as a corporate entity, yes, yes. I think they're in significantly over their head. And I think the evidence of that is, what we're reading and hearing about, which is getting much more coverage and traction in, in, in social media than the event itself. Whether it's Wheeler blowing a gun on somebody allegedly, um, the, the chaos with who can be at what event and who can show up when someone else is there and that kind of juvenile high school nonsense. All that is a manifestation of lack of maturity as, as a company, and I'm not talking about emotional maturity or anything like that. I'm talking about maturity as a company. Um, and I think they've taken on a lot. And I don't think, as evidenced by what we're reading and hear, hearing about, uh, that the management structure in, the, in AEW is up to speed yet. And dumping more content on it and hiring more talent only exacerbates that. I agree entirely. Let's get one more question in just because it's from our ad-free shows faithful. Let's get Rosie one more time here. I think there's a good timely one. After just attending podcast movement, what is something you learned 
about the podcasting business. There's so many fans that listen to Strictly Business and all the Conrad podcasts that want to start their own podcast, Eric. So what's something that you learned that you can share with the audience here? I don't think it's, you know, I didn't walk away going, wow, I didn't know that. You know what I mean? But every time I, I, this is like the fourth year, I think I've done the podcast movement. And my takeaway is, wow, this is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And it's getting more sophisticated every year. I, I think that advertisers are getting more comfortable. There's still a lot of advertisers out there that just don't get podcasting. They're so familiar with television and radio in print that they're actually a little uncomfortable because they don't really understand it. And that's human nature. Um, they're uncomfortable advertising and podcasting, but that's changing, you know, and a lot of that has to do with guys like Joe Rogan, you know, who are planting a major flag in this industry and, and giving advertisers comfort that this is real. It's viable. Um, so I'm mean, just seeing the growth is the thing that just made me more than learn anything, probably be more grateful for the opportunity that, that I've had here over the last five years, because it's still, it's still in its infancy. Podcasting is just like streaming has changed radio or changed television. Podcasting is changing radio. And it's going to be interesting to find, to, to follow that over the next couple of years. Well, if you're hesitant to get into the podcasting realm from a business perspective, but you want a good teammate, well, we're here to team up with you at advertisewitheric.com. Join our Strictly Business team to get your business or your product out in front of thousands of listeners every single week. 83 Weeks Feed is one of the biggest feeds in all of podcasting, and we want to help you get your product out in front of it. Advertisewitheric.com. Make sure you're subscribed to 83weeks.com where you get Strictly Business every single week alongside the 83 Weeks podcast. And of course, adfreeshows.com where you get early access and live taping information as well. Eric, anything else you want to add here all in? We've been talking about it for months. It's finally here. Anything that you'd like to throw out there before you get on another plane and travel out? No, just grateful for the opportunity to do this again with you, John. I love doing this show. I get a lot of positive feedback. You know, Conrad and Jeff Jarrett and I were on a panel at Podcast Movement and talking about how we build the community. And I think, I, I've got to be honest with you, I think, we, the collective we, with Conrad at the helm, have probably done a better job of actually building a community than anybody in the podcast business. The, the After Shows family is a true family, and we're seeing friendships, relationships uh, develop as a result of, of this platform. And I'm just proud to be a part of it. You know, we gave up and talked about some of the things that we do. You know, Top Guy Weekend, me shaving my head, donating $15,000 to, to St. Jude's, for example. We got done uh, on that panel, and I probably had no fewer than a half a dozen successful producers, podcast producers, want no, want, wanted to know more. And I'm sure Conrad got the same thing, probably more so. Um, so I, you know, we're doing some things right here. We've got a great audience, and I'm, I, I love doing this live thing and I love reading you know it's kind of distracting I'm sure because I'm looking over here reading and talking to you at the same time but I, I love it and this is this is an awesome platform and I want to thank everybody for being here yeah you uh you really hit the jackpot with the head shaving gimmick because you donate all the money you get your head shaved and then your hair's back in like a month it's unbelievable yeah it's kind of unfair isn't it <laughs> 
<laughs> but I told God, right, you know, when we made the bet, because it just kind of came up spontaneously, and he was making a joke, and I took it serious, and that's how it ended up happening, because I, I sometimes take things seriously that I shouldn't. And uh, God, I said, we, we can find a way out of this. You know, we can, even though, because I said, no, I'll do it. I'll say, I'll bet you, you know, I, I drew a line in the sand. And kind of said, we don't really have to do it. You don't have, we'll find a way. I said, no, nah, it's just hair. It'll grow back in a couple of weeks. It'll look fine. You know, it's not like if I shave it off, it's not going to grow back. But mine does grow unbelievable, fairly fast. I've always had a good hair, head of hair, obviously. But you've proven that with age. You're aging like fine wine, Eric Bischoff, in this That's podcast. Fact, Jack. <laughs> Every single week. This has been Strictly Business. We'll see you next time. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.